If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, feel free to keep it. Our gift to you. And as you're turning there, just a couple of announcements as you find Luke chapter 5. Um, you know, Deborah emailed me last night or yesterday afternoon, and she's like, oh, I have this great idea. I want to, I have all these chickens, and I want, you know, with eggs, and if I want to help Japan, I thought maybe if we do a fundraiser through the eggs, you could, we could do this. And I emailed her back, and I'm like, that's a great idea. I want you tomorrow to get up and speak to both services. And she responds, uh, Gunner, Pastor Gunner, I, I, uh, I think it'd be a much better idea if Rick did it. And uh, I said, no, I think it'd be a much better idea for you to do it. And uh, I think you'll raise more money if you're the one who, who does that. And, um, and also what Rick did not say or she didn't say is we do live in Valley Center. A lot of us have chickens. A lot of us have more eggs than we even know what to do with. So you can make a donation without taking the eggs like I did. And so go, you can make a donation. You can even write a check out to Valley Baptist Church. Just put um, Japan on, on the memo line. And so we'll segregate the money and... In a couple of weeks, when the you know everything kind of comes in, we will um, we'll send a check. We'll cut a check, and she can send it in to, to uh, I forgot the name of the place, World Vision, which has a very uh, good track record of doing stuff like this. And, and in the immediate sort of crisis, as we learned in Valley Center a few years ago, um, from a first responder side, our inclination is we want to go, we want to help, and and sometimes until they get a, an idea of how you can help. The best thing to do is just to, to get the money ready to get going, and, and then they'll start implementing it on things that they need um, as they get a better idea. The second thing I want to say is, you know, the playground's done out there. I, I know that there's one little girl in my house that her tailbone is very thankful for the sawdust that's there, or saw, whatever it is, wood chips type thing, so that the, the coming down and crashing off the slide is a little less painful uh, I tried to get uh, Richard Erler to demo it yesterday, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't go down the slide. But it's been tested uh, by an authorized person, and it's all good. But Alberto, can you wave to everybody back there with that? No, the other hand. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, he crashed yesterday. He was walking, and he tripped, and it, it, it was very scary initially. Um, he went to the hospital, no broken bones. His cabeza is okay. We were worried about his, his head, for those of you who don't speak Spanish. Um, Keep him in prayer because he's going to be sore. Um, he's a guy that just won't slow down. We keep telling him, take it easy, man, take it easy. And, he, and he's, Albert Jr. has been blaming me. He's like, yeah, you put all this pressure on my dad. I, do, I put pressure for him to slow down. <laughs> you can't stop that guy from serving. And so what we're going to do is one, and I love this church period, but one thing in particular that I really love about this church is potlucks. And the potluck in particular for the Manning family is the church is providing like street tacos. And we're having a big discussion this week. How much guacamole should we have? 15 pounds, 20 pounds? We're talking about guacamole and poundage, you know? And I'm like, you know, I think we settled for 15, but I get really worried if we run out of guacamole. So I might make an executive decision, say, let's go with 20 just to be safe. 30 pounds of carne asada, 20 pounds of pollo asada. This is a celebration for the Mannings who have been in Mongolia. They, there is no Mexican food there. I talked to Josh earlier this week. He's like, man, I'm really excited to, to, to come and be with the church. He's like, but can I share something with you? I'm really excited about the Mexican food. I'm like, yeah, me too, man. And so this is a really a homecoming. It's a celebration. Um, he, he'll share briefly with us next Sunday. He has a video 
And then the following Wednesday, we're going to have a time of worship and Q&A and just discussion. And, and I'm just really interested to see how it's going to go, um, Josh's perception, because he really has, their family has been built into the DNA of the church since the restart. He came and visited the church on June 25th of 2007. It was one month after I was got here. I think in this room, me and Anna were here. Angie was here. Um, Albert, Alberto was here. Lloyd Beth was probably here. There were, there were 25 of us in attendance, and that was the whole church. And he shared, and we've been supporting them. I've, we've gone over there. We've been really a part. I think they've helped us become like a healthy church as we've kind of grown. And we have blessed them. And so it's going to be just a fun time of fellowship. Uh, Josh is a guy that I think I need him just as much as he needs me. So we'll have a couple weeks together just of encouragement. Um, and so come. We need to run the block on Alberto. I'm glad he's not. He, he stepped out so he can't hear me. Oh, he's, he's hiding from me. He's moving around. So he's going to want to go and get all of the barbecue and done. And so I'd encourage you, like if you are at this service, you can come to the 830 service and then just after, stay after, help set up. We're going to need help setting up tables and chairs and getting everything going. We want everybody to participate. We don't want just like three people getting it done. So everybody can participate. Or if you just come to this service, plan on sticking around and helping afterwards. Or you can even do both. You can help set up and you can stick around. Nobody, I'll be doing everything. Well, I won't be. I'll be here during the second service. So um, just come, participate. Josh is excited just to be floating around, meeting everybody, seeing everybody's faces. So it'll be a great time. Announcement time is over for Gunner. Luke chapter 5. We will read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> so if you'll read with me or follow along as I read. Verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little while, a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And Father, we come before you today, Lord, as we look at this text. Father, we pray that you would help our minds to focus on your word. Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate its meaning. Father, that we would rightly understand this story. And Father, as we hear and listen um, we pray that you would open our hearts, Lord. Lord, may we hear your voice speaking to us. Um, Father, we uh, 
just desire to hear a word from you. We pray, Lord, that as we inch forward in this Christian life, Lord, um, that you would help us to move to greater um, obedience and faithfulness to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this section that we read today, this is really a dramatic introduction to a turning point in the life of three men or the lives of three men. The focal point of the story, obviously, is this great catch of fish. But in Luke's description of the story, we're going back really to um, to the chapter before, in chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus had gone into Nazareth, his hometown. He opened the scriptures. He read from Isaiah. He sits down, and in verse 21, he says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He, in front of all these people, says, I, I am the Messiah. I've come. I'm here they responded with they wanted to kill him because that was blasphemy as far as they were concerned. They ran him out of town. And then Luke begins unpacking a series of miracles and events that Jesus did to affirm the statement which he made that he started showing himself as the Messiah. And so in this story, what we see is Peter... James and John, these three guys, business partners, James and John were brothers. This is the John who wrote the gospel of John, who wrote first, second and third John and Revelation. James was uh, martyred. He was killed for his faith very, very early on. And Peter, we all know. These guys were fishermen by by trade. And in this story, we sort of see the tipping point in their life that caused them to follow in radical obedience of the Lord. Not saying they're perfect, but this was a turning point for them. And the Christian life is all about fresh starts, inching forward in obedience as we move along. And from this story, one of the greatest things I I think that I I take out of here is that Jesus didn't come for all of us to give us something to do on Sunday mornings. He wants to invade every aspect of our life. He wants to fully um, be present in every area of your life. We're so good at compartmentalizing areas of our life. And, and, and as I look at my life and, and, and reflecting, I'm at kind of a, you know, I kind of not a crossroads, but last night my two worlds sort of collided. I am. Um, I shared with you guys last week, I was a hard week, a friend, of, a very dear friend, the guy who led me to the Lord, um, passed away. <clears throat> and last night I had to do the memorial service. And showing up at the memorial service, there were many people who had no idea that I was even a, a Christian, let alone a pastor. And the last thing they would have suspected is that I was a pastor. And I, there's one guy who can give an amen. Eddie, my friend Eddie here was one of my high school buddies, and he was... He was like me. We had our own course, like all of us. And then Jesus gets a hold of our lives and transforms our lives. He's like, oh, brother, I'll be at church tomorrow. He's become a Christian. We've talked over the years, and it's super exciting. It's the two of us today. It's going to be really funny. I'm hoping I don't start giggling because it's really funny that I'm a pastor because the guy was then. It's hilarious. God has got a sense of humor. Totally changed my life. I understand every week, but you guys all know me as a pastor. But when I say, man, he changed my life, I'd be like, yeah, he did. Last night, there's a lot of people like, dude, how, what? You're a pastor? And after my friend shared his faith with me and then nagged me to go to church, 
I started going, I started going through the motions and I was going to church on Sunday nights. But during that time for years, I could tell you where the dollar beer specials were on Monday night, Tuesday, no, not Tuesday night because there's Bible study on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. I'd go to the evening church on sun, on Sunday so that I could kind of recoup from the night before this went on for a long time until about a 99. So convicted that I was thrown in the towel with God. I said, I can't, I am a total hypocrite and I can't, I can't go down this road. And it was, that was my, like one of the tipping points in my life where it's like, okay, Lord, I surrender. You know, I often talk about during worship time, some people lift their hands in worship and they say, oh, I know Rick always refers to it as like, oh, it's like a little kid running to his dad saying, daddy, daddy, I'm over here. Me, it's totally the cops have their gun on me. I surrender. I give up. My whole life is yours. I give up. And that was my moment. I said, I don't, I can't do this, but I want to believe what's in your Bible. I want to believe all this stuff, but I can't. And it was, that was a moment in my life where my incrementally went up a notch to where he began to move more because I realized I couldn't do it. Move me towards obedience and towards him. And he wants to invade everything. Jesus wants to be with you as you look at the computer, as you watch your TV, as you are with your family, as you're at your work, as you're living your life, as you go to Starbucks, as you go to the baseball game. Wherever you are, he wants to be with you. He wants to invade every aspect of your life. And so the context here, looking at the first three verses, we read, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put it out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And so in this story, if we look at these three verses, often what I'll do is I begin studying a certain text. I mark or I kind of highlight in my mind, what are the verbs? What are the actions? What's going on here? And in these three verses, you'll see all sorts of action. You see people pressing around Jesus. They're listening to the word of God. Now, for those of you that are not from a Christian sort of background, I was not from a sort of Christian background. I went to church, but I was, it was not a Christian background. There's terms called, you know, Christianese. This is lingo that Christians use that like, what are they talking about? And one of these is the word of God. This translation for the word of God in Christianese is Bible. So they were listening to the Bible. But in this case, they weren't using the term Bible, that this phrase is something that we created later on. So they were listening to the word of God. This is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and then the word became essentially was where my Bible, my Bible memory falls apart. John 1, 1, that Jesus was God. He is God. He became man. And John describes him as the word. So he's sitting there teaching them as he speaks. That's the word of God. He is God and he's teaching. And these people are listening. The word is spreading. They're gathering around him. And as they're gathering around him, listening to him. He's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is the Sea of Galilee. Luke kind of refers to it as a lake. Matthew, Mark, John refer to it as the Sea of Galilee. I think it has something to do with the difference between a Jewish background and a Gentile background. So they're at the Sea of Galilee. People are kind of pressing around. 
we see that Jesus sees, okay, there's two boats over here that are from uh, Peter, James, and John. They're fishing enterprise. He's got two boats. They've been fishing all night. We see that the fishermen, they're there washing their nets, huge nets. We're going to learn that they caught nothing. So maybe there's a fish or two. This isn't fishing in the sense of, oh, let's go up to Lake Wolford, you know, get our tackle box and throw, you know, these are commercial fishermen. These guys had huge nets. Not to catch fish didn't mean that it was boring. It meant we worked all night and we don't get paid today. We failed. And fishermen don't like not catching stuff. This is a big deal. So they're washing their nets. Their boats are kind of going, Jesus is doing stuff over here. Um, we go on. Then Jesus gets into one of the boats. He seats. He, he sits. He's teaching the people. And so this is real life. This isn't just a dead story. Jesus is there. He's teaching. His crowd's coming around. A bunch of fishermen are cleaning their nets. There's boats here. Teaching can be hard. Anybody who public speaks understands that when I talk, I have right now, I have a file opened in my head. Luke chapter five. I've got to speak what I'm teaching on. As I'm talking, I have another file open that's a little half second. My computer's got another file open about what I have to say in 30 seconds from now. So I'm talking currently, thinking 30 seconds ahead. And then I'm looking at all of you. Oh, I just saw so-and-so lean over and talk to their spouse or who. I wonder what they said. Did I offend them? That's a whole other file's opened up. Somebody got out. Oh, are they going to the, another file opens up. Are they going to the bathroom or are they walking out? Did I offend them? Man, why am I having such a bad attitude? Another file. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm not supposed to care. I'm supposed to teach with conviction. Our minds kind of go crazy. I don't know about you, but I'm one of the people, if I come onto a computer and there's like 17 windows open, I've got to close them all down and just use the one that's open. Anna can have about 30 windows open and she's totally okay with it. I can't do it. Too distracted. Now, I'm sure that Jesus' mind, he was God. He had a mind that was locked on. He could talk and not get distracted. But he understood that the people he's teaching, they get distracted. So I've noticed that pretty much all sort of teaching environments, however you teach, it's like sit down, turn off the TV, quiet, focus. Don't get up and go to, no, no, no. This isn't time to go, like sit down, focus, listen to me. Last night at the funeral, I'm walking up. I got there an hour early at the wrong spot. <laughs> and so I, I see, I'm like, oh man, it's like really windy. Wind equals loud if you're the person who has to be the, the, the talking. And the wind is in creating surf that's a little bit bigger. So the waves are crashing, making more noise. And then wind just generally just kind of gets everything going everywhere. Suddenly, Pastor Gunner has to remember SEAL Instructor Gunner to go, Oh, I got all kind of teaching on the beach. And kind of follow Jesus' example. He knew, okay, you put your back to the ocean. You got to watch the the other files always going. Is that ocean water about to take me out? It came close a couple times. So you use the environment to, to project your voice out to the people. You get everybody. Hey, everybody. Okay, bring it in. Sit down. All you in front. Sit down. Get closer. Hey, there's a big gap here. You in the back. Don't be shy. Come on down. You direct everybody. Focus, people. I have to share a very important offensive message to you and I want you to hear it. And I'm fighting the wind and everything and I'm crying and I'm a big mess and I need to do this. So come on in close. And then as I'm talking, I've got to think, oh, keep yelling at the people. Don't worry about the people in the splash zone. See, nobody ever sits up front here because this is where projectile spit goes. If I get too excited. <laughs> None of the services, nobody likes to sit in these rows. And Rick's over there. <laughs> 
So he's getting their attention. So he sees, okay, all this crowd's pressing around me. There's people 360 degrees all over me. These fishermen are working. They're talking. People are passing. There's all kind of distractions. Sees a boat. Okay, I'm going to take Peter's boat. Peter's cool with me. He said, Peter, swing that boat around. So what he does is he spins it around. So probably the, the bow line, the, the bow would be the front. If you're, the, if you're not a Navy guy or have any sort of nautical background, bow means front. So he spins the boat around, pushes it out just a little bit so the boat's floating. But then they have the front of the boat tied off. If I was Jesus in this situation, it doesn't say it here, but I would go up to the bow, I would sit on the bow, and I would begin teaching. Nobody can go behind you because there's water. Everybody's right there. You have the elements working in your favor. And he's teaching them the word of God. He's speaking to them with authority. They're listening. It's unfortunate. There's a lot of churches today that with all of these files open, it's easy to want to accommodate the feelings of, of like, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Like I was in there. I, man, I, like, it wasn't long ago that I wasn't a believer and I know the horror of walking into a church for your first time. If this is your first time visiting, I'm sorry. I know exactly what you're going through. You're like, oh, man, Christians are a bunch of weirdos. I'm going to walk in there. They're going to do all kinds of stuff. So I'm going to come late so I avoid that dead, awkward time. And, and, and people that are teaching know this. So they'll, let's not say anything. Let's, let's, let's help them. Make it more palatable. Who am I to say what the truth is? But see, the Bible tells us, and Jesus affirmed and all throughout, this is the word of God. And so when I teach, I understand that this is what God, I'm just conveying what God said. And so very, every week, I'm stepping on my toes in preparation. I don't like everything it says, but it's God's word. And I'll get emails, I'll get phone calls and say, God, I really didn't like what you said. Okay, okay well, talk to me. What, what? Now, what exactly happened? And they'll say, you said this, but I... I felt like um, the Bible doesn't say that. And there are times it's like, oh, yeah. Man, I had like seven files open in my head. And I, I, I really meant to say that, but I must have got so excited I skipped forward. And what you're saying is absolutely correct. I blew it. I, you're, you're absolute, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'm sorry that I misspoke. It happens. I'm human. My mind's a mess. I got too many files open all the time. Now, there are other times when somebody says, I really don't like what you said. And I'm like, okay, now what was the issue? And it'll be something that the Bible said. I said, I'm, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I offended you. I don't like what that says either, but that's what the text says. And going through Ecclesiastes, I felt like there was like, a whole, it felt like five years there, but it was only like six months. There was all kind of weeks. I don't like what this says. Oh, bro, I don't like what it says either. It's kind of discouraging. It's not... So I'm okay to offend if it's from the word. I can offend or make mistakes because I'm human. And so the issue is the authority comes from the word of God. My opinion, when I was licensed as a pastor, the guy who licensed me said, he handed me my certificate to say that I was a pastor now. And he said, well, with this and a dollar eighty, you can get yourself a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And the point was, he's like, you're absolutely, this means nothing. Your opinion means nothing. It, it, it the, the, your authority is from with this. It's not you. It's the Bible. And so Jesus is speaking with authority. And this is why we take such value in teaching the Bible line by line because it forces us to go through stuff that we wouldn't otherwise care about or even want to hear. 
And he has all of the people. He's sitting there teaching. Luke doesn't tell us what he's teaching about. That's not his point in the story. Jesus finishes teaching. And now he looks at the people and he says, oh, they're hungry. It's a very Christian thing to eat together. I mean, seriously, the we started talking, it's like, we're all, it's 1118. We're thinking about lunch. Like, what do we eat afterwards? It's what we do. We like potlucks. We like fellowshipping. Jesus is looking at them going, oh, they're all hungry. Let's, let's get some food for them. Let's, let's take care of them. So now suddenly he's using the boat as a pulpit, and he wants to use it as a fishing boat. And he looks at Peter. And before we look at what he says, I want to, as before we read the verses, I, let's put this in context. This is vocational fishermen. I often share that one of the shows I enjoy highly is The Deadliest Catch. Crab fishermen in the Bering Sea, these guys are absolutely just tough. And I've noticed that when they lay, they work for weeks on end, they lay all of their pots and strings. And the big paydays when they start raising them. And when they start lifting the pots, they're like, going, ooh, is there anything there? And when they pull them up and there's nothing, they get so frustrated. There's times when it's weeks when nothing comes up. The guys are discouraged, like, man, we're going to be working for a month, and I'm not going to get paid anything because they only get paid on a commission of the crap that they get. So here's Peter, his whole team, his whole group of people. They've been fishing all night. They go out in the middle of the night. They pull the boats in. They didn't catch anything. Fishermen like catching stuff. They're cleaning their nets. They're discouraged. Maybe there's like a guppy or two that got snug in the net, and they're just throwing out, cleaning They've got to get home, get, get some food, get a nap because sunset's coming quickly and they're going to go have to work the whole night again. And Jesus borrows one of their boats in the meantime talking and he says, okay, Peter, I, I have a request of you. I want you to take this boat, push it out. And Peter, fisherman Peter, I think is thinking, well, and he says it kind of, you're a carpenter. When you're talking about spiritual things, okay. But just because you're sitting on the bow of your, my boat doesn't make you the captain of the boat. I'm the fisherman. We've been out all night. You don't go fishing in the middle of the day when the sun's out. You've got all of these hundreds of people in the water hanging out right on the shoreline. All the fish are scared. I've got this whole crew that's already discouraged. And you want me to tell all of my guys to go do this again? Jesus, you don't know anything about fishing. This has got failure written all over it. This would be a quick, the last service I was picking on my computer programmers. I don't know why, but I'm going to stick with the theme of picking on computer programmers today. Because they're in here and I don't know anything about computer programming. Computer programmers, oh, what do you do? I work with computers. Oh, tell me more about it. They start talking and I'm like, I don't have a what in the world? Can you tell me again? Like, God, I've told you 17 times. You're not going to get it. It would be like me suddenly, hey, bust out your computer. I want to start writing some code. Don't worry. I know you've been working on it. I'll just go through and I'll manipulate it. And I'll make it even better. Gunnar, you're going to just create all kind of headache for me. No, 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 don't, don't worry. I know about the alligator making the big sign and the other one on the other side. I know that you have to put those on the end and whatever you write in there, it makes it good. So I'll just put those on the end and whatever I write will be good. Can you imagine what the computer guys would say to me? They'd be like, I gotta stick to teaching the Bible. Don't mess with it. It's like Rick Restivo here. 
I almost want to start laughing at him. He's talking about make the, the blanket that, the, that were made. Did you notice that he said they built them? I've never heard a quilting person refer to building a quilt. He doesn't have a clue when it comes to quilting, and he's not here. I'd say it to his face. And so Peter's looking at him going, Peter, you're a carpenter. Stay in your pay grade, brother. <laughs> That's a military, you know, little... You want to use my boat for a pulpit? No problem. You start telling me about fishing, we got problems. So verse 4, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. I mean, fishermen are known for being kind of rough. I just explained to you how Peter would have felt about this little command. Verse 5, Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked all night and caught nothing. See, this is his, his kind of preface. Well, maybe if I explain to you, maybe he, he's just so unattached and unknowing about fishing that if I explain to him, like, dude, brother, we were out fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. My whole team, expert fishermen. I'm a fisherman. My dad was a fisherman. My granddad was a fisherman. My, my great-grandpa was a fisherman. All of the guys I work with, same thing. This is like Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. You know, they've been going forever. They've been successful. They know what they're the experts. Maybe if I just inform him, he'll change his mind. He goes on to say, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Notice the word master. I often talk about great butts in the Bible. We have a great butt in the Bible. This is, this is one to highlight circle. He says, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. This is Christian discipleship. Lord, you're asking me to do something crazy. I'm a computer programmer. What do you know about writing code? Let me take care of the computer stuff. You can talk to me on Sundays for an hour. He says, no, but I will do as you say. Master, you're overall. I'll submit to you. I don't think you have a clue of what you're talking about, but I'll do as you say. Just line that one, but I will do as you say. In my own life, I've experienced a couple of these. Well, one I heard about that was great. I can never use it in my own story, but I'm going to share it. A few years back, we were doing Bible studies, my father-in-law and I, at the Olympic Training Center. I loved it because you got free food, and Olympians have the best food, from like greasy burgers to, to broiled salmon, done, you know, all, the whole spectrum. If you're trying to make yourself weigh 500 pounds, or if you are like the lean swimmer that you need to like, you'd be very particular about your food. And we're having this Bible study. And my father-in-law was given an illustration trying to, explain that sometimes following Christ, submitting to him will feel a little awkward at first. And then you start doing what he says. And this girl, Brenda, says, oh, 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 I totally know what you're talking about. See, I had this coach and he wanted us to, to do, it was very weird. I don't even understand what he wanted us, what he wanted them to do. He's like, but you got to understand. She's like, when you got to understand, Brenda is a girl who has multiple gold medals, world record holder. She said, when you're running at our speeds and you're turning around the track, that centrifugal force is so great that it's, and I'm like, you know, this is right. I've never run so fast that I've experienced 
centrifugal force. And she says, and I did it for like a year. And then I broke a world record. <laughs> We're like, that's a great story. I could only use this here. And then a bunch of the other Olympics like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. And they're all, it was like crazy. But in my own life, things I've heard, like some of the God telling me to do something, not knowing at the time it was God, just kind of like seemed crazy. First, just go to church. My buddy nagging me over and over and over again to go to church. And I acknowledge there are people here that probably somebody nagged you to come to church. I'm thankful that you're here. I know how hard it is. My life was radically changed by being tempted by free pizza and being able to wear shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt to go to church. I never knew, but I went. It was a wrestling match. Then there was going to Bible study. Well, now you're in church. Now these Christians, they do this Bible study thing. So I started going to some Bible studies. And then there was... There was this one Bible study. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I am travel so much. I need to kind of line up a Bible study for every day of the week so that I could be in Bible study during the week. There was one. I'm like, oh, I'll try this one out. It's by San Diego State. I pull up to the house, put my car in park or whatever it was. I don't know if I had a stick or not at the time. I pull it up, and I'm like, what am I doing? i got to get out of here. I drove away. I'm about to get on the freeway to go back home. I'm like, what are you doing? Go back to Bible study. So I flipped a UA. I went back. And I think this happened about three times. And finally, I'm like, all right, I'll go to Bible study. And go to Bible study. Turns out I met somebody there. Her name was Anna Jean Hilton. She's sitting right over there. I ended up marrying her. I also met Brett, but Brett was far less significant in my life at that Bible study. <laughs> but I met Brett at that Bible study. And... Uh, and but it was just like, because God was like, I'm like, oh, was, you know, it's a tug of war. I don't want to be a wacky Christian going to Bible study every single day. You know, no, go. All right, I'll go. And he had something. L- later last night as I'm speaking, you know, all the files are opening. And one of the guys I see, I'm blanking on his name right now. I looked at him as I was talking, you know, I'm talking, but I see him and this file opens up. And I remember very early on as a Christian, I was at The Rock. Some of you guys know Marcus Preciado. He comes and does worship on occasion here. He was a pastor at The Rock at the time. My friend had, he was out in the desert riding a motorcycle and a dune buggy T-boned him. It was really bad. He got life flighted to La Jolla. I got word and I started feeling like God wanted me to go like, the conviction was that God wanted me to go there and offer to pray for them, like in my own time. Not to pray for him there, but to say, I'm praying for you. That was my big leap of faith. Just to say, hey, I'm going to be praying for you, buddy. And I was horrified. I remember like going, I got to do this. I don't know where it was. And I remember going to Marcus after the church service and explain, I'm like, man, I feel like God wants me to go and to offer to pray. And um, can you get like the whole pastoral staff over here just to lay hands on me and to pray for me? And so Marcus is like praying for me that I would be willing to like offer to be pray- to, to tell them that I've been praying for them sort of thing. So I sent off, I go there. He was obviously on life support, like not, he doesn't remember me coming at all, but the mom was there. She said, oh, thank you for praying. Do you mind if we all just like hold hands right now and pray? Like, no, 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 God. <laughs> this was not a part of the deal. <laughs> but then I prayed like out loud. And that act of obedience, it led to like, obviously it led to where I am now. Other ones, I'm in the Middle East. I see in Runner's World magazine, I wanted to run a marathon. I see, hey, Jesus run in Denver. I'm a big mistake. Don't do your first marathon in Denver. You could raise money for missionaries. And so I'm running all around the Middle East, and I'm running in La Mesa. And when I got to La Mesa, it's getting close to 
um, to run the marathon, I kept running past all of these old, like, convalescent homes. And I'd be running, and I, you need to go teach a Bible study at one of these convalescent homes. And I'm running, talking to God, going, you're crazy. I think you're sending this to the wrong person. I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm running. Come on, I'm, ra- I'm running a marathon to raise money for missionaries. What more do you want from me? What am I supposed to do? Just walk on to the lobby and say, hey, I'm here. my name is Gunnar. I'm here to teach a Bible study for the old folks in here? Like, it's just not going to work, Lord. And weeks and months and conviction and go in there. Finally, I said, I, I give up. I remember that the, the home where my grandparents died, I knew the lady and she was a Christian. Her name was Jeannie. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get her number for my dad and I'm going to call her. So I call her up. I'm like, hey, Jeannie, it's Gunnar. I don't know if you remember me. She's like, oh, hey, hey, Thumper. I, I just don't think she ever knew my name. So I was called Thumper by her from a very little. And she's like, how you doing, Thumper? And I got something really crazy. You know, I've become a Christian now and I, you know. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I kind of feel like God wants me to teach a Bible study at one of these old person's homes. And I, maybe you could think about it, pray about it. I know the law says you probably can't do it, but I just want to do my part of being obedient. And I'm still trying to talk. And she's saying, you can come on Thursday. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Pray about it. I'm just supposed to act. I just want to respond that I'll give it a shot. She's like, Gunnar, I'm, there is the little place called the Shangri-La. I'll do it. You can do it there. I'm like, oh, man. So then I called Anna. We were just friends at the time. I said, this is, like a, this is killing me. But I feel like God wants me to go do this. And I called and they're ready. And I don't know the first thing about Bible study. And Anna's like, oh, I love elderly homes. When I was a little girl, I used to go. And I'm like, oh, you're killing me. And she's like, and I know five other people that would like to go. So, so here I have my whole entourage knocking on the Shangri-La. The little lady answers, I'm like, oh, I'm Gunner. I'm here to teach the Bible study. She's like, oh, go in the living room. Then this lady, Maureen, 97 years old in her walker, comes out. Never forget her. She looks at me and she says, I've been praying for three years that somebody would come teach a Bible study. I've called every church in the area and nobody will come. I was like, oh, Lord, he wants to kick you out in the deep end and we resist. And he's got blessing beyond measure there. Four years ago this time, there's 14 people at this church. I'm driving up from La Mesa, like dry heaving in the front of the car going, I can't do this, Anna. This is crazy. I'm, what am I doing? This is like, I'm not at, like, this isn't my gig. And I'm so glad the blessing that's come out of this. Going to Mongolia last year, like the whole God convicted me. It's like, and this is where I got in trouble last service because in my dialogue, I said, Lord, you're talking to the wrong guy. Do you, maybe you just don't understand where Mongolia is. It's, and I said, it's not like flying to Missouri. <laughs> Apparently, there are a couple of people from Missouri in the church. And they said, <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. How about Michigan? And then somebody else said, <clears throat> like, uh, then like something with an M that nobody's been from, you know. And then I went and the blessing that came out of going. And see, the thing is, I don't know what the next thing God's going to challenge me with, but I know he will. And I know that in this room for all of you to take home, I guarantee you that God is going to challenge you, is challenging you probably now to step out and to do something. And it'll, it'll go against all of your, like, it'll go against all of what you think you should do or what you want to do. It might be, it, you might be doing it today just by sitting in church. It might be coming to a Bible. Say, I don't know. See, I'm not God, so I don't know what it is. But I know that God wants to draw us into deeper commitment to him. 
I'm convinced he didn't come just so he would have something to do on Sundays. And Peter, in his discipleship and his following, says, Master, I will do as you say. This, this is the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of following Christ. Lord, you have it's a half-baked, crazy idea. You don't know anything about computer programming. But if this is what you want me to do, you're the master. I'll do as you say. And then check out what happens here. Verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners and the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Back to the deadliest catch. When they don't pull up the, the crabs, they're like totally depressed. They could have been working for like two weeks straight with four hours sleep. They get a string where it's nothing but king crab. These guys are like high-fiving each other. It's like, we are so rich. There's, man, we got all the tanks filled on the boat. The crab's coming out of the holding tanks. This is awesome. This is money for Peter, James, and John. This would be like you're, you're a computer programmer and, and you feel like, man, I, I feel like it's crazy. I think that God really wants Gunner to mess around with my computer program. It makes no sense. He's probably going to destroy everything, but I really feel like God wants it to. So I'm going to say, Gunner, you're cleared hot to just get into DOS and just start like fiddling. And I come up with like a multi-gazillion dollar program that you get paid for. See, when this happens, this is, this is more fish than they'd ever caught. This is more money, more wealth, a, a total and complete miracle that they understood. And I want us to pretend like we can't read verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. Because seriously, if, if you didn't know what came next, and we said, okay, guys, this is we get to write the rest of the story, what happened? Fishermen catch big fish, what do they do? Take a picture. If the fish is so big that you can't hold it and you broke a record, they put it on a hook, you get your picture on the news everywhere. If I was Peter, and if you were Peter, just being real here, man, we would be opening seminars around the Lake of Galilee. I learned how to fish and make gazillions of dollars. I don't even have to fish now, and I'm going to give you seminars on how you too can become like me, the world's greatest fisherman. He'd be, I mean, this is... This is an amazing, this is a life-changing amount of fish that they caught here. And then we come to verse 8. And we read, But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so... Also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So here's the owners of the fishing company. When you love somebody and you care about something, sometimes you'll do stuff that's a little ridiculous. And I'm even imagining that, and maybe it's just me and my sinfulness. But if I was Peter, and Jesus tells me to do this, and I say, I'll do as you say, I'd have been like, 
Like first, it's not just him. He's on the shoreline here. He's not the one going out on the boats. He's not the one that's going to have to clean the nets. He's not the one that's not going to be able to get paid for the work. And so if I was Peter, I would look at his guys and I'd kind of pull them aside. I'm like, okay, listen, this is the deal, guys. I really love Jesus a lot. He's already done a bunch of really cool stuff. He's got authority. So listen, what we're going to do, just take one of the nets. Take the old dirty ones or whatever. Go out just till you're out of range. Throw it down there. Throw it in a clean spot where there's not a lot of leaves and stuff or whatever's in the water. Hold it down there for just a little bit and then bring it up and we'll come back in. And hey, I'll I'll do the cleaning and you guys can go home. Like you're doing me a favor. Like this is me. I don't know if this is what happened. But he'd been fishing all night. Like, I don't think they're going to put the most amount of energy. He's already said, Lord, we've been out there all night. This is the worst time of day. You don't fish during this time. But you say, I'll do it. He tells the guys to go out there. They cast out. Nets are filled. One net gets filled. The nets start breaking. They start loading into the first boat. The buoyancy can't hold it. So now the boat is sinking like it's going to go under. They pull the second boat over. Peter is standing there watching this. He knew that this was impossible. And his reaction He literally, I believe, fell all the way to his face like this and said, Lord, get away from me. Depart. Verse 8, he said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Notice he goes from master to Lord. This is totally different. This is master I'll obey and submit to, Lord, I bow down and worship. He realized in that moment as those fish are coming up that the majesty of God was displayed on Jesus, that he was God. And he had this moment. It was, he's, I can't even be in your presence. This happens to every single person throughout scriptures that gets the Lord revealed to him. It happened to Isaiah. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. I'm destroyed. Peter falling down. I can't even be in your presence. You're so holy. And this isn't conversion. This isn't suddenly Peter became a Christian. This is conviction. This is discipleship. This is Paul going from I'm the least of all of the apostles to the end of his life when he says I'm the worst of all sinners. And it's not that he's backsliding. It's that as he's growing, as he's walking in obedience, he realizes how holy And how awesome God is. And what a wretched sinner he is. And this is where grace comes in. Romans chapter 5. It talks about standing in grace. See we think of grace as like. Oh that's God forgiving you. And that's how you become a Christian. And then we kind of. Then we share that. No grace you live in. You're saved by it. But then you walk in it. Jesus says it's okay. Listen he, he goes on to say. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. I love it. This is, this is, God always says, don't be afraid when the, when the person bows down to him. Later in the story, in Luke 24, when we cover Easter, the story is Jesus, after the ascension, as he's walking the earth, he has a little bit more, he goes, he gets a little bit more of his God attributes. Like they're in a locked room, all of a sudden he appears. They're horrified. He says, don't be afraid. Peace I, my peace I give you. They're, they're, they're still trembling. He's like, hey, guys, what happened to your hospitality? Could you feed me? You got any fish? And they boil them some fish. They have a meal. He says, don't be afraid. 
at this next little phrase, I want you, I have it highlighted and circled. So if I have something like double highlighted, and I, I actually have, I think, I circled it twice, that means it's really important to me. And I think that this is, this is a phrase that we need to take on. It says, do not fear from now on. Peter, don't worry about that from now on. This is the Christian life from now on. Walk with me. Let me walk with you. Let me be a part of your life. This is the Christian life from now on. It's a fresh start every day. I recently blogged on the church website about a struggle that I had for many years as an early Christian. And I see it all the time in Christians. We become Christians and we start thinking, I know God forgave me, but he let me off the hook way too easy. So I'm not going to forgive myself. I'm going to beat myself up. I'm not going to forgive myself. And I think that this is one of the hardest forgivenesses to give to yourself. He says, but from now on, Jesus has been telling me, from now on, walk with me. But Lord, don't you remember I did all that? Don't you remember last night, like one of my friends from way back in high school? You know who he is. I don't want to say it in case he listens, but... He looks at me, he came up to me, he's like, can't believe you're a pastor, dude. He's like, do you remember that night? And I'm like, oh, I have vague, that was you? That's where that happened? Oh, I should have died that night. We were like doing something stupid, like incredibly stupid. Literally should have died. He said, oh, I was just telling the story yesterday. You saved my life. Oh, yeah, man. I'm like, I'm a Christian now, man. I've really changed. But you see, I still have those memories of doing stupid stuff. And then I meet old friends and then the new stories come back to mind. I'm like, oh, it was really blurry. I'm like, oh, that happened there. And it's easy to, late at night to start getting discouraged over things I'd done in the past as a Christian. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, press on. Leave what's behind, the behind what's on. Like, oh, this is really bad for me. Like, he says, one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind, but I press on to the future call of Christ. Something along those lines, that's Gunner. Jesus is telling us, when you have those thoughts of, man, I was a total, I did stuff that was, I cannot forgive myself for that. Jesus is saying, but from now on, the woman caught in adultery, what he said, he go and sin no more. From now on, walk with me. Don't beat yourself over that. You weren't just let off the hook. On the cross, I paid the penalty in full. There's nothing more for you to... It, what You weren't just let off scot-free. I bore your sin totally and completely on the cross. And now I want you to walk with me. Follow me from now on. Follow me. I mean, you could have had... Sometimes coming to church, this seems... It used to be. Now we it's it's worked out well because I kind of leave for church before it ends up. But man, man, we used to get in... That would be the time that we would get in fights. It was on the way to church. I think it's a spiritual sort of attack. And they go, oh, I can't like... I'm not even going to look because I hear giggling. And I know that that's always like... <laughs> there's a big... We can give an amen, brother. <laughs> like that. We can keep it real here. And they go, oh, man, I'm such a loser. I blew it again. Jesus right now, this very moment is telling you from now on, walk with me. I paid it all. And I love their reaction. 
Well, he says, from now on, <laughs> the last one, you'll be catching men. And he sure did learn how to catch men. Dave Pentecost, 3,000, and I think he went up to 5,000 next. He began, based on the word of God, reaching people for Christ, no longer a fisherman. In, in the world history, Peter is not remembered as a fisherman. Yeah, he fished for a while, but that's not like the hallmark of his life. His hallmark of his life was obedience. His hallmark of his life was sharing his faith, was getting beat up, ultimately to be crucified and saying, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that my Lord has been crucified. They said, okay, we'll honor your request. So they crucified him upside down. And it all goes back to verse five. Master, I will do as you say. And Jesus telling him over and over again. From now on. From now on, follow me. From now on, follow me. I want this to get stuck in your head. So this week, when you leave here, when you go home tonight, and you start feeling bad over your past. Hear Jesus saying, from now on, follow me. From now on, follow me. From now on. It's about the future. It's not where you've been. It's where you're going. From now on. And verse 11, the greatest catch, the greatest source of money that they've ever made, period. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him from now on. We look at James and John. They were referred to by Jesus as the sons of thunder. They were, they were zealous. There were, there were times when in the Gospels we'll see they go through a town. The people there wouldn't let them through because they were Jews. And they, they, they go to Jesus, John, the apostle of love. And he says, Jesus, they won't let us through. Shall we pray that the Father send fire from heaven and just wipe them off the face of the earth? No, John. From now on, follow me. From now on. We know him as the apostle of love. We think of him as a guy in a tie-dyed shirt with long, like a hippie, like the apostle of love. No, this was a guy that was so transformed by Jesus. He was radical. His brother James says, hey, when you're seated at the right hand of the father, can I have that seat right next to you? Jesus says, you're going to be able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink from? He says, yeah. He was one of the very first guys that was killed for his faith following Jesus. Jesus said, you will drink from the same cup, that you'll give your life. This is radical obedience. When we look at the early church, how many people's Lives were sacrificed in obedience to him. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. From now on, they followed him. And I'm not suggesting that you guys all, you know, sell everything you have, go support, you know, go be a missionary in Mongolia. Because that's not what God's called us to do. Like that's some people. Yeah. So some people here, God may be calling you that. I had too many files open. I got ahead of myself. So as we like close, yeah, I got plenty of time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The first thing is Jesus is Lord. And he loves you. He wants you to respond to him. So you may be here and you have maybe have never really, you've been coming to church or you're here for the first time and you maybe have never believed in jesus for salvation the gospel is simple it's that jesus came to earth he lived a perfect life he went to the cross he died on the cross according to scriptures for your sins 
that he paid the penalty, that he was a substitute, it all went to him. He was buried three days later. He rose from the grave. Then he ascended into heaven. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that after hearing the gospel, that you, when you believed. So that's the secret right there, believing. Understanding what Jesus did, you believe upon it. At that moment, we're told that the Spirit comes and seals you until the day of redemption. You're a Christian. And then at that moment, it's all about discipleship, growing. Jesus wants you to understand who he is, and he's revealed himself to us through the scriptures. And as we live our life, we're going we're gonna to be challenged. He's going to ask you to do stuff that totally goes against your nature, your desire, your will. And we need to respond like verse 5, Master, I will do as you say. Lord, here I am. Lord, this seems crazy. Jesus, is in, he wants every aspect of your life. When you're sitting on the computer, he wants to be right there with you. When you're watching TV, when you're watching a movie, when you're going to work, when you're hanging out with your family, he wants to invade every area of your life. And as we go through our life, as we get to know him, as we get to understand how holy and mighty and awesome he is, we start realizing how bad we really are. And it's not about condemning us. It's from now on. From now on, go with him. Stand in grace. From now on, live for him. And if you make a mistake, if you stumble from now on, move forward. Go all in with Jesus in your life. I guarantee you. I can't guarantee that your life will get easier because that's absolutely not. I mean, your life might get from a human standpoint. It may get way more difficult. Becoming a Christian when all your friends are not Christian is not easy. Becoming a Christian when your spouse is not a believer is not easy. Being a Christian when the whole world around you is not a, is, doesn't have to share the same values, it's not easy. But I can tell you that walking in obedience is better than anything that this earth has to offer. And so, Father, as we close today, Lord, I thank you totally and completely, Lord, for my friend John Trask who shared the gospel with me, that he pestered me. And Lord, I know that there are all kind of people here today. We have friends in our life. Lord, we have people that are being pestered to go to church. And Lord, I pray that if there are people here who haven't come to know you as Savior, Lord, Father, I pray that they would respond, that they would see you as Lord. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would convict them, Lord, that you would, Lord, that you would take them by the hand and lead them where they need to go in order to come to um, a saving faith in you. And Father, we ask that for those of us that have trusted in you, Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to hear your voice, Lord, that we would be able to discern your voice guiding us and leading us. Father, change the attitudes of our hearts, Lord, that we would respond as Peter did, Master, but I will do as you say. And Lord, as we go, the evil one wants to discourage us, wants to frustrate us, wants to make us think that the cross wasn't sufficient for pain for our sins and we beat ourselves up. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see that you paid it all. And you're asking us, but from now on, walk with me. And Lord, may every day, may we hear your voice as we wake up in the morning, as we go through our day, hear you whispering to us, but from now on. Father, we love you, Lord. We praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.